Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, August 25th starts now. On today's show for Oh What a Week, Ben welcomes special guest Adolfo Mondragon. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and a whole lot more. You want to check it out, and you want to check out Ben Jarofsky on the Chicago Reader site. That's going to be ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. I'll spell that for you. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory. SKY. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Churn Back the Clock Friday, and here's why. Actually, it's over a week Friday, but I have this uh, sometimes left over from uh, Thursday. Churn Back the Clock, and uh, Adolfo Mondragon is joining me. We're going to have fun with this one. The White Sox are in the news. That's like the big one of the big local news here in the city of Chicago, that and the weather. It's broiling hot in the city of Chicago, and yet none of the Republicans running uh, for president believe that climate change is caused by human beings. Whoa, that's just... We'll probably get into that one as well. The Republican Party has been officially taken over by lunatics. And um, anyway, there's a picture of Tony LaRusso on the back page of the Sun-Times. going to show Adolfo here this picture. I don't know where they got this picture. I, I, I couldn't believe that was Tony La Russa. I still don't believe it's Tony La Russa. Whoever it is looks a lot older than my last image of Tony La Russa. Uh, and I think I'm, I don't know if I should accuse the sometimes of this. You know, I love you, bright one. I subscribe to you, read you every day. But did you just like take some picture of some old geezer to put in the back page and say it was Tony La Russa just to uh, accentuate this point that the White Sox are taking, being taken over by old men? I'd like to point out something to you if, if that was the point. I think Tony LaRusso is younger than Joe Biden. <laughs> and he's probably the same age as Donald Trump, who will probably be the next two uh, presidential candidates. Obviously, Biden, no one is really running against him in the Democratic primary, uh, except for Bobby Kennedy, who is insane. And I think Donald Trump will win the Republican nomination, even though he will be probably by then convicted of some crime or another. He's, he's under indictment in four different venues. Wow. What a, what a time, ladies and gentlemen. So those will be the candidates. And you're like complaining about the White Sox being old? <laughs> Turn back the clock. After doing the right thing by axing Han and Williams, Reinsdorf stumbles in Sox's latest dance with Larusa. Adolfo Mondragon, attorney extraordinaire, election law expert, dear friend of the show, and dear friend of mine, Welcome back. We have a lot to discuss. I think we should start with, well, let's start with the White Sox. All right, uh-huh. Adolfo, you in for that? Yeah, sure. It's been painful season. Uh, why not bring on the pain first? 
All right, let's start with the White Sox, and then we'll get into election law. Adolfo has some interesting theories about Donald Trump that relate to his own case, which we discussed on the uh, on the show many times, and then uh, we'll take it from there. So, as I've said in the show many times, Adolfo and I, uh, Adolfo is a season ticket holder. I've been his guest several times uh, to White Sox games. Shout out David, who's often at the games with us, uh, who is the games uh, with us. And uh, we sit there, and we, David, by the way, Adolfo, I think you will admit this point is probably one of the smartest people when it comes to the White Sox in the city of Chicago. I would say his knowledge and David predicted to us. He told us this day was coming. I'm going to give him a shout out. He told it was like a month ago and he knew the ins and outs, the fine print of the Sox lease with the state of Illinois. Remember Adolfo? He goes, the lease is coming up in six years. They're going to renegotiate the lease. You I watch. Can't believe he, had, he had actually reviewed the lease previously. He looked yes. it up and knew that some university had pu- published a copy of the lease. And he was like, hold on. I haven't reviewed it in a while. In a while. Geez, I'm a lawyer and I don't even look at that thing. Right. Uh, yeah. He's not a lawyer, right? Yeah. He's just a normal human being. No, he's that. a professor of Spanish at uh, Loyola. I mean, I know. Okay. Not that professors of Spanish aren't normal and not that lawyers aren't normal. I'm just saying he's not a lawyer, okay. but he had the lease. Yeah. He called up the lease. We're sitting in a white size game. I think they were getting crushed and we're <laughs> reading the intricacies of the lease. And sure enough, fast forward uh, six weeks. Jerry Reinsdorf uh, calls up the Crane Chicago business. I don't know if that's how it happened, but uh, somehow or other Craig's uh, Crane Chicago business, Greg Hines, had the scoop that the White Sox were thinking of renegotiating the lease or perhaps moving uh, or perhaps uh, Reinsdorf's team would sell or his would sell his majority sh- share in the Sox. Uh, and then the next day, Reinsdorf announced that he was firing the exceedingly unpopular uh, Rich Hahn and uh, Kenny Williams through the front office management. And I was like, oh, that's classic Reinsdorf. He uh, let the public know that he wanted something from them, money. And then he, he gave the public something, or at least the Sox fans public, something that they wanted, which is these guys are gone. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Uh, Adolfo, your general thoughts about the White Sox putting that big White Sox paw out, looking for more money from the public to finance their horrifically bad baseball team. Go ahead. Oh, I don't feel good about this at all, man. I mean, this season is, first of all, this season is horrible. I purchased those uh, uh, shared season tickets three years ago because we were promised like multiple World Series and multiple playoff rounds. And I've only seen two playoff games, one playoff win. Um, And this season, it's gotten so bad that I haven't even watched a game on TV and I don't even know who they've been playing or what the score's been. And I haven't been to a game in a couple of weeks. I have basically every homestand. We have uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday tickets. And it's been like a month or something since I, I've been to the game. It's just, it's horrible. So when, when I see now Reinsdorf doing that classic, like, well, we might move or we might sell. Oh, and then, you know, and then the next day fire the two dudes he should have fired a long time ago. And then the next day on the, co- you know, on the cover, there's Tony LaRusso. He's back. It's just like, um, he's totally messing with us because I think there's like bad news coming down the pike. 
you know, David also said that, you know, that the White Sox might be sold to some guy who wants to take him to Vegas or something. And that could that could be very well true. I, I'll believe anything now. This team is well. The A's, I think, are slated for Vegas. Okay. So if the, yeah, the the uh, Oakland A's, and this gets to the heart of the the political or municipal concerns here. How important, in your humble opinion, and just so, as a backup, Adolfo Mondragon is born and raised South Side Chicago. The guy who lives on the South Side. He just. He's true South Side. Yeah, I grew right. up a stone's throw away from Bridgeport. I grew up in back of the yards. We could, when we were kids, we would walk into the ballpark. Yeah, so he, this is this guy, is is legit. Like when you wear those, they have those South Side jerseys. I won't wear one because I'm not a South Sider. Okay, I've never <laughs> lived on the South Side. I don't particularly like like the South Side that much. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, when I first moved to Chicago, I would go to the South Side, like the Southwest Side. They would always ask me what parish I'm from. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What? I don't even know what a parish is. So I'm like, I was just so clueless. This kid from Evanston. Uh, so, but I'm a huge White Sox fan. So I, I will not wear the South Side jersey because I don't think I earned the right to wear the South Side jersey. Adolfo has earned the right to wear the South Side jersey. Although I've never seen you wear one, just for the record, Adolfo. Um, yeah, see, I don't, so, I don't, I don't think I have the 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 South Side one, but I just have the just the, either the '83 and then like the the more modern ones. Oh, I love the '83. Oh, anyway, all right. So, uh, in your humble opinion, as a native South Sider. How important are the White Sox to the South Side of Chicago? You know, sports is a big uh, is an important thing in the city of Chicago, and you know, in terms of sports, I think I identify first and foremost as a White Sox fan, then as a Bears fan, then probably third as a Bulls fan, then as probably a Chicago Fire fan, and then somewhere down the line is like the Blackhawks or something, you know, but. I mean, for me, first and foremost, I'm a baseball. I mean, I grew up playing baseball, and I, I'm a I'm I identify as a White Sox fan. So it's uh, it's something that's ingrained from you know as a little kid, and it's part of your identity. And um, yeah, I would say it's very important. If they well, left, yeah, I mean that that would destroy me. That that would be like you know like Brooklyn fans when the Dodgers left. I mean that'd be devastating. All right, you're talking about things from a psychological standpoint. So let me rephrase the question. From an economic development standpoint, how important are the White Sox to the south side of Chicago? You know, I think they have they have a footprint in the economics of the south side, but it's not it's not as tied as maybe the Cubs are to the north side because they have that bar business and, you know, um, a lot of tourism from people coming in from Iowa, et cetera. Um, I mean, they definitely, when you go to the ballpark, you see that the, like the people who are the ushers and uh, et cetera, they're definitely people who live in the community. They're within a walking distance and within a bus ride from the ballpark, you know? So, I mean, they do hire a lot of people from the community. So those people would all lose their, their seasonal jobs. Right. And, um, it would hurt there. Also, uh, marketing wise, I think the White Sox are going to drop a documentary about the history of the the um, the black White Sox cap that became famous with hip hop and the rappers. And so nationwide, I think the White Sox are some of the best selling MLB uh, paraphernalia 
And so economically, in, in terms of that, um, it would probably hurt because it would change the whole meaning of the hat and everything like that. Um, so I think locally it does have an economic um, uh, importance to it because, I, like I said, I do believe that they hire a lot of people from the community, from the nearby community. Um, but it's not like they have hotels and bars and restaurants that are tied to the area that survive on the, uh, there are some, but it's not as much as like, you know, in uh, Wrigleyville, for example, or when you go to other cities like in Boston, where they've built kind of a, like a surrounding, you know, area around Fenway, et cetera. So it's not to that point. This is an interesting uh, sidebar to all this. Uh, in the aftermath of the White Sox or Reinsdorf leaking to Cranes that he was thinking about uh, renegotiating the lease, perhaps moving the team, Alderwoman Nicole Lee, who is Ward encompasses uh, White Sox Park, talked about redeveloping the area, allowing the White Sox to participate in a redevelopment area uh, where they would use some of the parking space. There's a lot of parking space around White Sox Park, Adolfo, as you know. Uh, they would use some of that parking space for development. And to the point you just raised, what the what the White Sox the White Sox have not generated the type of development around that ballpark the way the Cubs have generated around Wrigley Field. If you go to a Cubs game, and Adolfo, I don't know when the last time we were at a Cubs game. I actually went to one. Uh, uh, I texted this to you. I don't know if you remember. I went to one. A friend of mine gave me a ticket. I went to a Cubs game the other day, uh, and just the amount of nightlife around Wrigley Field, sidewalks packed, bars packed, lines of people outside of restaurants, lines. I'm like, what are you getting in that restaurant? That's mediocre bar food. Why are you waiting in line? <laughs> and you remember a time when that wasn't so on the north side, when it was like, yeah, it, it was pretty empty around there unless there was a ball game going on, right? Absolutely, man. I'm so old. I remember the '70s, like we're around Wrigley Field. It was it was just kind of a low key, uh, sleepy neighborhood. It, you know, there were yeah, bars. Yeah, I remember was that they had that McDonald's right next to the the ballpark. That was all I remember. And they're like, mm, that was that was it. That was the extent of like the the restaurant scene in Wrigley Field. Man, shout out to Jr. My old good, my old pal. Uh, from Robinson High School, who was the manager of that McDonald's. I see you, JR, uh, for many years. Um, all right. Uh, so, I don't know. Do you think that's possible? Do you think it's – would you want it? Would you want the White Sox to tag team with the state, in the city, to uh, develop, what, restaurants, bars, make that area around White Sox Park on 35th Street uh, more like what we have at Wrigley Field. Yeah, I think so. I think the, the, I mean, it all depends on how they do it. Right. Because I remember back oh, like 20 some years ago when they were first thinking about bringing casinos to the city, that was an area that they were like, I mean, the dailies were pushing, I think, or, or pushing, if I remember correctly for that being one of the areas where they like casinos and stuff and but that development is not the kind of development that they need there i think that the alder woman is probably right that they need to have development that brings in businesses but also uh, you know takes into consideration the community and fosters some kind of you know community goodwill because you know uh you probably remember better than i when they tore down all the uh public housing on the other side of the expressway next to the 
next to the ballpark and displaced all those people. And there's been a history there where like the town and, and well, I guess for university it's called town and gown here. I don't know what it would be town and, and town and town or whatever. The, the relationship between the residents, the public housing residents that used to be there and uh, you know, and, and the ball team is, is not the greatest. Right. So I, I, I would welcome economic development over there, but I think that it would have to be done borrowing some stuff from like the models that they've done in Boston and in Wrigleyville, but all, but I think also with an element towards bridging that community in and bringing in maybe people from Bronzeville, et cetera, and making that African-American community, uh, you know, a part, feel a part of the, of the White Sox and not this idea that, that the White Sox belong to bridge the white Bridgeport residents, but also to its black residents that live like literally that on next to the, the ballpark. So I, I would welcome that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I feel as though the white Sox have a flawed, um, setup. Uh, they're a, a publicly financed. Uh, so any incentive, uh, to put a, um, a successful team uh, on the field is reduced. In other words, there's not a profit motive linked to it since they're supported by the taxpayers. Uh, so if they don't, if they have a horrible team, like this year's team is, at, folks, it, this team is so bad. I cannot convey to you. We could do a whole show on how bad this team is and how dreadful and how, how they come up with new and creative ways to lose games. Uh, and the social attitude, the the behavior in the clubhouse is under is uh, there's so many stories about baseball players asleep uh, in the in the clubhouse or baseball players bickering or nobody paying attention uh, to uh, the manager, etc. and so forth. So this is just a bad team, but there's no incentive. There's no economic incentive for them to. Uh, Put a, a good team on the field. Yeah, and the deal that Reinsdorf got was yeah. such a sweetheart. Was such a sweetheart deal, yeah. as you know, he has like veto over who can use the the stadium, which doesn't belong to him. So if he doesn't like, so if the state wants to make money and bring in concerts and events at the stadium, he can just say no. They're going to tear up my field, so no, I won't allow that. But if he likes, if he wants something. Uh, at the stadium, then, you know, then, then it'll go. So that's, that's kind of backwards, right? I mean, it's a state owned facility, but the owner of the club that rents it has veto power over anything that could be done there. It's just backwards. Right. Um, so uh, you're a University of Chicago guy. You went to uh, the University of Chicago Law School. The University of Chicago course is the sort of the birthplace of free market uh, economics, uh, Milton Friedman uh, economics, uh, and uh, Anton Scalia economics. Uh, you, you yourself do not subscribe to these notions, but I'm sure uh, your brain has been bombarded with them from all kinds of intelligent people at the University of Chicago. Probably know it's all BS as they're saying it, but they say it anyway. Uh, do you think that the White Sox are classic case of why what? the inconsistencies and the contradictions of uh, capitalists who say we have a free market system when in fact our, our entire system is set up uh, to uh, provide socialism for the capitalists? Well, totally. I mean, um, 
all the privileges that Major League Baseball <clears throat> enjoys. I mean, for the longest time, um, you know, the whole fight with the unions and free agency, et cetera, and the cases that would go up to this U.S. Supreme Court, and they would carve out a niche for Major League Baseball that they were <clears throat> something different from all the other different sports, and therefore the general rules of labor didn't apply to it, et cetera. Um, the benefits that they have when they kind of uh, they 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 arm wrestle communities into paying for stadiums that they could finance themselves, um, and because you know they know that the teams mean something sentimental, something irrational to the people there that they don't think rationally about when they make these decisions, and and then they leverage that into forcing communities to get into ridiculous deals that are so one-sided that you would never under a free market ever consider that a, a meeting of the minds, right? You know, a contract is supposed to be a win-win for both sides. And these contracts and deals and privileges that major league baseball has are totally not a meeting of the minds. They are one-sided because they can leverage um, a bunch of different things like the the sentimentality of the community that they have for these teams into putting them in uh, against the wall and making the thing like, well, if, if you don't do this, we'll leave. And, uh, and then you end up with bad deals like the one that the White Sox have. Yeah. And let's uh, close uh, this conversation uh, by reminding you with the, what's the first thing to almost to support the point he just made that Adolfo said when I go, will it hurt the South side if the White Sox leave? The first thing you said was, I love the White Sox. I've always loved the White Sox. It's like I would hate for them to leave. They would not be here. My beloved White Sox would not be here. Proving the point you just made, the sentimental attachments we have to our teams uh, sort of like makes us suckers and saps. As I say this, ladies and gentlemen, I am wearing one of the 15 Chicago Bulls hats that I own. Just so I am not saying I am exempt <laughs> from this, okay? I'm not like, feeling superior to Adolfo. <laughs> and, and by the way, my list would be Bulls. I'm doing my favorite teams in Chicago. Bulls, Bears. I don't know. I mean, I like the sky. Uh, I follow the WNBA. Uh, I'm not into soccer, and I'm so I've I'm so down on the rickets these days. It's hard for me to even enjoy uh, this Cubs run. But I, I and I don't know why I'm a sucker and a sap for the Chicago Bears. That really, I just I, I got to go to therapy for that because that that's really weird. All right, let's move on to Donald Trump and his connection to Illinois politics and that fascinating lawsuit that I never tired of talking about that you waged your Don Quixote uh, uh, way, uh, <laughs> war against the uh, the Democratic establishment. Uh, and uh, I would like to point out before we begin this discourse, there's nothing like Adolfo Mondragon anywhere in the Republican Party. And I, this is a guy, he's a Democrat. But he has fought the powers that be in the Democratic Party for as long as I've known him. I can't right now on the stage at the presidential debate last night, one of the most pathetic displays of cowardice that I've ever seen. There were eight candidates up there. Donald Trump decided not to go. I believe the reason he didn't go, Adolfo, is because his lawyer said, don't go. You'll say something stupid that'll screw up one of these four cases. Had nothing to do with politics, ladies and gentlemen. If you believe that, you're 
you're that got the land for you. Okay. No, if you believe that you're a Chicago would have voted for Rom uh in 2015 because he put a sweater on. Uh anyway, um, so uh they asked, would you support Donald Trump uh if uh he were convicted of one of these crimes? And it was a show of hands, and they you just Oh my God! You have to see this to believe it. I think four hands went up immediately. Then uh, DeSantis. Then everybody else. Then everybody read the the, the room and yeah. they were like, "Okay, okay, we'll we'll raise our hands to even Pence, yeah. even Pence, who has said that no one who 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 instigated a, a, a insurgents against the government should ever be president." Oh, but hold on, if he's convicted, hold on, I will, I will yeah. vote for him. Yeah, no, that was classic. Pence looking around, oh, maybe I better. How about DeSantis literally looking to his left to his right? What a weasel that guy is. You know, kiss a bit of reason with hand. Uh, you guys are wimps. So there's no one in the Republican Party uh, like Adolfo who's been waging these Don Quixote uh, quests against various powers that be. Ed Burke, Michael Joseph Madigan, uh, Danny Solis. So talk about Donald Trump's fundraising where he's raising money from the suckers and saps and MAGA uh, to essentially pay for his <laughs> legal defense for the attempted coup and other uh, alleged crimes. Go ahead. Yeah. So Donald Trump has been using uh, campaign finance money to finance the the various legal defenses that he has now to um, to, to 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 pay for. Uh, and it's, well, I don't know if all of them, in my opinion, are, are perfectly legal, but a lot of them under the federal campaign finance rules are perfectly permissible. And I was thinking about how, what, how important my case is to Illinois, because, um, basically under the interpretation that the state board of elections had, uh, the same thing was permissible in the state of Illinois, just to just to willy nilly use campaign finance money for any kind of legal defense. Uh, and then when I lost at the appellate court level, it became even worse because the appellate court uh, agreed to take the Danny Solis um, point of view on Illinois campaign finance law and said that it actually th that there was a void there and we should adopt the Federal Election Commission's uh, rule for usage of uh, personal of campaign money for uh, personal usage. And the rule is it's called the irrespective rule. It basically means that if the the expenditure that you had to make uh, would have been uh, something that you would have had to pay irrespective of you being a politician or a candidate, then then it's not okay because then it would be personal. But if if it's connected somehow, some way, to the fact that you're a candidate, then it's okay to use and it's not personal. So, for example, um, if you use campaign finance money to pay for your house, well, that has nothing to do with you being a candidate, so you can't use it. But Donald Trump says, well, I got sued for the January 6th insurrection. I was president at the time, so it's connected to my presidency. So even though it's it's it, this lawsuit is against me personally, I could use campaign finance money because somehow that's a political activity, which is absurd, you know, because campaign finance money should really be used just essentially for running for office 
and maybe few exceptions here and there, but nothing more. And so Trump has been able to spend millions and millions. I mean, just some obscene amounts of money on defending himself against uh, all of these charges. And I think he even used the money on cases that were not connected to his political candidacy or the fact that he was president, like that lawsuit um, against him for um, for having sexually attacked that uh, um, that woman, the one who the, the yeah. So I think I think I think I'm not 100 percent, but I think he used campaign finance money for that as well. And that would not pass the irrespective test because that lawsuit was based on something that happened before he was even in politics. So. But he, somehow he gets away with it. No one files complaints against him and he's allowed to use that. And had I stopped at the appellate court level with my case, we would have been stuck with that horrific rule that the Federal Election Commission has. And it would be, uh, you know, a free day for all these politicians in the state of Illinois to just tap into those campaign finance uh, uh, coffers that they have that have money from PACs like ComEd, et cetera, tons of money. And they're just to defend themselves every time they get caught doing something uh, illegal. And thankfully for, you know, because we, the Illinois Supreme Court case took this uh, on. And although they could not give me a complete victory, but they they pretty much agreed on almost everything that we said. And they drew at least some form of bright line that said at the point of indictment, that's it. You got to turn off the spigot and you cannot tap into that into that coffer of uh, campaign finance. But the what the amounts of money that were that were spent here in Illinois are I, I would already categorize as obscene. What Donald Trump is spending on all of these cases, this is a wealthy man who doesn't need to do this and is taking all of the, this money from all these suckers out there that are, are sending money thinking that they're gonna be, it's going to be to elect them to the presidency. And in fact, it's just a vehicle so that he doesn't have to pay for any of these defenses. All right, I am now going to push back uh, and uh, give you a devil's advocate argument, and I'd love to. I can't wait to hear your response. Uh, so Donald Trump's uh, defense, if, you, if, if that's what you want to call it, uh, in all four cases, uh, which is so bizarre, uh, the, um, the classified document case where he took the documents and put them in Mar-a-Lago and various other places. Uh, the um, the case in uh, the insurrection case from January 6 of 2021, which is in what uh, in Washington, uh, the new case in New York, which everybody seems to forgot about, where he paid the hush money uh, to Stormy Daniels and didn't uh, declare it as a business expense, and now the latest uh, in um, Atlanta, uh, where he's uh, charged with essentially trying to uh, steal the election. Uh, his his argument is that these are it's a political witch hunt, and that uh, this is an absurd argument. I know this as I say it, uh, but his argument is that the Democrats are going after him because they want to knock out the greatest threat they have uh, in the twenty twenty four election. Even though Donald Trump is not the greatest threat the Democrats have, he is in fact probably the candidate. 
easiest for the Democrats to to defeat. Uh, so anyway, neither here nor there. That's his argument. It's a political witch hunt. Uh, it's like a banana republic. Never has the United States ever uh, used has the, the administration. Uh, the incumbent administration used the powers of the Justice Department uh, to uh, prosecute their chief challenger. So that's a political argument. That's an argument that is saying uh, he is being punished because of politics. Do you think, even in your in your wildest moment as a University of Chicago law student uh, in some right-winger's class, do you think that you buy that argument that Donald Trump that can justify these legal expenses as political expenses on the basis that he is the victim of a political witch hunt? You know, it's a good question. And no, I, I don't buy it. And uh, I'll tell you uh, for one thing, at the oral argument in the Supreme Court, it, one of the justices kept insisting on something along those lines to me. And I didn't have an answer for him at the oral argument because I didn't see it coming Basically, the justice was like, well, what if this indictment is like, you know, um, is essentially he didn't use the word witch hunt, but it said uh, prosecutorial overreaching or something like that. Aren't you entitled then to defend yourself of these things because they're unfair? And my, my answer should have been like, well, one, no, because that kind of indictments don't get overturned. And it would be on the margin, like what, one percent of cases in America are actually you know, proof of like prosecutorial overreach in these kind of situations. Generally, there is a, uh, a a hill of evidence against the individuals and that indictment survives, right? Whether a jury finds you not guilty is a different thing because that people can de decide differently. They, there could be jury nullification like there was with O.J. Simpson, where you know he's guilty, but you you nullify uh, your your vote against it because of some political or social or whatever reason. That's that's distinct, and 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 that overreach rarely happens. But two, the reason why I don't buy the political, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, which you know, witch hunt or whatever against them. Um, is uh oh god and i'm losing my train of thought here but essentially i don't buy it because you know irrespective of whether or not the motivation of the prosecutor is hate or spite or some vast conspiracy of people who are trying to stop him from running for president there is nothing in donald trump's argument that says oh and by the way all of these allegations are false they're not true the main brunt of his argument is that it's a witch hunt. They're coming after me and that in and of itself, the motivation for it is cause for it to be something that I should be able to tap into my campaign coffers and defend myself against, et cetera, with this public money. But irrespective of the motivation, there is nothing in his argument that says that, by the way, these are falsehoods. These yeah. things are apt and not only falsehoods, and not only like these are uh, these things are not true, but they are overwhelmingly not true because a witch hunt has to be something that is baseless. Right. It's not something like where, oh, maybe on the margins, some people could see this as criminality, some people not. And let's take it to a jury. No, a witch hunt, by definition, is something that is groundless, baseless and never does. Uh, does he make that argument? He just makes the argument that the motivation behind it is bad and evil. And therefore, somehow he is innocent. 
but it, that's not the way it works. It's not the motivation necessarily of someone coming after you. A prosecutor could hold hate inside of a rapist when he brings in his prosecution, right? But as long as he does everything legally, and as long as the evidence is 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 justified, is like you know meets the rules of evidence, and are, and it wasn't obtained in an illegal fashion or whatever. If the evidence is against the rapist, then the rapist is guilty of committing that crime, irrespective of how motivated the prosecutor is because of hate or spite or whatever. You know, it's only when that hate or spite or affects the evidence introduced against you or the types of things, uh, the, 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 the rule of law or the procedures are tipped against you, then it becomes a problem. So his argument is like, well, the motivation. Yeah, but how has that motivation affected the evidence against you or the rules being used against you? Are you in a kangaroo court? No. A lot of these judges were appointed by you, for Christ's sake. So, so they could be motivated by all of these the hate or whatever against you, it doesn't matter if that hate or motivation doesn't cross over and taint the process itself. So no, I don't buy his argument. Uh, me neither. That was well done. Uh, well, well, maybe one day, just, uh, you know, probably didn't do a great enough job of uh, explaining the case. Uh, but uh, so there's a, was a former alderman, Danny Solis, uh, who, as you, everybody knows, listens to this show, ended up wearing a wire uh, and got, got the goods uh, on behalf of the feds on Ed Burke, the other alderman of the, <laughs> what an alderman in Chicago, uh, from the 14th Ward for Finance Committee chair. And, is, and based on the, uh, in part, the evidence gathered on that hidden wire from uh, Danny Solis, the feds mounted a case against uh, Ed Burke, and he's facing prosecution probably later next year. Uh, and uh, Adolfo filed suit saying uh, that Danny Solis should not be allowed to use his campaign his campaign contributions for his legal uh, defense. And that, that if, if he had been completely successful, that could have been applied to Burke and Madigan. So this was a very powerful uh, lawsuit uh, the, that Adolfo filed. And I believe if anybody did that uh, against Trump, oh, my God, the crying, the whining, the screaming from Donald Trump, uh, would be enormous. Do you follow what I'm saying? If somebody w really went serious to apply. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because again, it would go back into this whole witch hunt, um, you know, argument. And again, the witch hunt thing would have weight if you could then tie this witch hunt to somehow that motivation affecting your ability to defend yourself uh, because the rules are now, uh, you know, skewed against you or, or because the judge has it in for you or, you know, if, if that motivation somehow tainted the, the process, then uh, then I could buy the argument. But here, assuming that there's a witch hunt, assuming because there is I don't believe that there is a witch hunt, but assuming there's a witch hunt, he's getting like the cleanest types of uh, judicial procedures that you can get. He doesn't have to be arrested in many of these criminal cases. I think in, in Georgia, he finally will and get a mugshot, but he doesn't have to do the perp walk. He gets to negotiate a lot of things in his favor. I mean, he's he's getting the white glove treatment from the prosecution. And so these whole arguments about witch hunt are just total bullshit because unless this witch hunt, this motivation affects his ability to have a fair trial. Yeah then they don't mean shit. Yeah. And um, uh, by the way, he's going to, I say this on the show all the time, he will be using 
you talked about that mugshot in Atlanta. He will be using, you watch that image uh, as part of his fundraising uh, effort. He'll be selling T-shirts, coffee mugs, what have you with that image. Uh, but when I said that to Monroe Anderson the other day, he said, well, he'll, he'll superimpose a younger version of himself. Uh, <laughs> oh, totally. 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 God uh, knows what he's going to do cosmetically to, for that photo, right? I mean, like, he's going to, well, he'll have it photoshopped anyway, but still. Yeah. You know, it'll, he'll end up, as I said to Monroe, he'll end up looking like Brad Pitt somehow or other, uh, as opposed to Donald Trump. And that was like another funny moment in the uh, debate last night uh, where the, the MAGA, MAGA, just between you and me, MAGA, you are so weird, MAGA. So uh, when one of the moderators said, well, let's discuss the elephant who's not in the room, meaning that Donald Trump is going to lead into the Donald Trump question in the debate last night. And the audience booed. And it was like because the moderator was saying that Donald Trump was fat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and Donald Trump has his thing. Like he, in his mind, the guy's obese, ladies and gentlemen. Just walk walk. MAGA, just come to face to face with this, okay? He's obese. And, um, but in his mind, Donnie Trump is like Adonis or something, you know? <laughs> Let's discuss the other one who is not. Donald Trump is always making fun of Christy for being overweight, or if you know this. Had a great comeback. Well, you're not exactly, I don't know what he's, you're not exactly Brad Pitt yourself there, Donnie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that. All right, we'll close, we'll close with this one. Um, and uh, this was an essay I sent uh, to Adolfo uh, from the New York Times a uh, that ran, I think it was about a week ago or so, uh, and it's called about Latino white supremacists. And the concept that in America, uh, you could be Latino and a white supremacist. And this is a conversation. You talk about the things that when uh, Adolfo and I talk about, we're sitting up in the stands at White Sox game. This is one of our favorite topics, uh, Hispanic identity and just the whole concept of how race plays into the psyche of people in this country. We, we could talk about this for hours. Uh, and it sure beats watching the White Sox and <laughs> dreadful White Sox. Uh the essay talked about uh, Adolfo how some of the leaders of these right-wing uh, pro-Trump uh, nutcase white supremacist groups were are Hispanics uh, and gets into the whole notion of like how is that possible? What is going on mentally in the, in the minds of people in this country where you're Hispanic but you identify as with a white supremacist group? Uh, and uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this one more time. Uh, the the notion that you could be Hispanic and a white supremacist. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think that you could identify if you're Latino because of the imposition of race and class in well in the world, but in Latin America in particular, um, because the Spaniards did such a great job of making a whole caste system of race. You know, like if you have one purebred white. Spaniard with one uh, indigenous uh, person from the New World, then you create this. And if that one, that you know, kid ha matches with somebody who is African American, then they create this. And they labeled all of these things. And there's hundreds of these labels. You know, you could be a mulatto, you could be a criollo, you could be. There's all these terms for. The pairings of you know of races, etc. I mean, the 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 thing at the, at the end of the day is that race is a total social and political construct. There is no such thing as race. There's only the human race genetically, 
differences in pigment, skin pigment, eye color, etc., are infinitesimally small and don't really matter, right? The the main things that uh that that we have in common uh have nothing to do with pigmentation, etc. So race is just a construct that's been placed in history to put other, some people down and others up, right? But um, because Latin Americans come from that kind of system where race is, is totally important and skin color and, you know, what your uh, ethnic background is, um, a lot of Latinos, particularly in the United States, uh, tend to think in a way that if they can pass off or identify themselves as being white or as these proud boys say that they are, I forgot what they say, that they're Iberic something or another, that they're somehow, well, we're not white, but we're like, we're of Iberic, you know, descendancy or something. Um, so the closer you get to, to being termed white, um, that somehow the world will treat you differently and that you will also enter into this world where you have the privileges that white people have in the world. And so it's uh, some people find it as a way of, you know, whether they fool themselves or whether they use it like, you know, knowingly as a way of, you know, uh, improving their status in life. And and so a lot of these dudes, like the, these proud boys, they're Cuban. Some of them have... Uh, African heritage in them, maybe a little bit, some of them uh, more than others, right? But um, a lot of these Cubans have a lot of Spanish, um, you know, uh, descendancy in their line. And so they tend to think of themselves as white because of this Spanish lineage that they have, a very strong Spanish lineage. And they find that as a way of putting themselves above other members of the Latino community and being accepted into the white community. And with that acceptance, getting all the privileges that come with being white in America. And so you'll find even people like Sammy Sosa, the darkest, one of the darkest brothers out there who will all of a sudden have this pigmentation problem or whatever, uh, whether it's a problem or whether he did that to himself you know, well, I guess we'll never really know, but, uh, you know, but I mean, the idea is that this guy doesn't think of himself as a black, like a black person, like an African-American would be in America. And he thinks of himself as something different, if not quite white, something that, you know, he's Latino or he's Hispanic and therefore he is not black, you know, and I, you know, I had a friend uh, when I got out of college, I worked at this place and there's this great uh, he was an older guy, Puerto Rican man, he, and uh, he was clearly had African, mestizo, uh, indigenous and white uh, lineage in him. Right. But he told me that when he was a younger man, he was enrolled in the army and uh, from Puerto Rico. And uh, and they would they would go and train in the U.S. Like in the south. And uh, when he, as a young man, when he was. I mean, I guess like in the 70s or something in 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 the South, that Southerners, even though he, you know, he was a darker skinned guy, not 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 like super dark, but a dark skinned guy that they would because they would see that they have Spanish surnames and they spoke Spanish, that they didn't consider them black. They were something else. And so wow. when you start seeing that 
And then, oh, wait, maybe people won't treat me as black. And you see black people being treated very badly. Uh, you you use that as a way of saying like, oh, I'm white too. So these yeah. Proud Boys, of course, they could identify as supremacists. Whether they can wield the power of a supremacist, that's a completely different question, I think. Because um, I know if Sammy Sosa went to the United States and said like, I'm a white guy and I, you know, and try to be in one of these white supremacist groups. I don't know that it would fly or that he would have the, the power to to wield white privilege against somebody. But definitely he could think in his mind and he could move around the world thinking that he's a white person and treat me like a white person or whatever, because it's advantageous to be white. So why would you not want to be treated as white? So a lot of these dudes, I think it's easy to see why. They connect with white. You can say the same thing about this recent phenomenon in the uh, Rio Grande Valley in Texas. All of these Mexican-Americans voting for fucking Trump because they feel that because there's several generations in uh, in the United States that they should have the privileges of a white person. So they now tend to say, well, I'm white because I have Spanish lineage, etc. And therefore, I'm white. I'm certainly not black. And therefore, I should be treated like a white person in America. And I will vote for a white person in America. And I will act like a white person in America. But that only goes so far, brother, because at the end of the day, that skin color doesn't uh, run off. Your surname doesn't change. And, you know, your Spanish accent or whatever, you can only hide so many things. And at some point, somebody will treat you badly anyway, you know? So so I think that's my take on, yeah, so can these dudes act like white supremacists? I certainly think they can. Can they wield the power of a white supremacist? That's a different question. I don't know. Well, we'll close with this. Can they wield the power? Uh, and the, tech, the example in Texas is a good one. <clears throat> We've ha- I've had guests on who've talked about Texas and the upcoming presidential election and how this could be the year uh, that Texas goes Democrat. Uh, and it's a lot of speculation, a lot of hoping, et cetera, and so forth. And if I were putting money in Vegas, I would say, no, this won't be the year. It does. But if it does go Democrat, those precincts that you were just talking about in the southern end of Texas near the border will be key. Uh, because if the Democrats can get a strong uh, vote from those precincts and start to stem that tide that you were just alluding to, to the Republicans, maybe this would be the year. So that would be legitimate power, if you follow what I'm saying, legitimate power exercised uh, by... uh, Right, right. But to their own detriment, because at the end of the day, by voting in those Republicans, they're not actually helping themselves out. So, yeah, they could wield power. And that's why Republicans will accept and embrace dark-colored minorities. Like this Indian guy running for... I mean, there's a history of Indian guys running running for, as Republicans and black guys running as Republicans, even Latino guys like George uh, Bush's grandson running as a Republican, et cetera. They will, they will, because Republicans have no problem using minorities to forward their own agenda. And they'll say, yeah, we'll, we'll accept you or we'll at least let you feel like we accept you. And uh, because at the end of the day, the things that you are promoting are working against you anyway. So it doesn't matter to us. You buy into all of our political agenda. Please embrace it and pretend to yourself that you're only embracing the free economic stuff. And my parents came here 40 years ago with no money and blah, blah, blah. And I am the American dream brother. You're yeah, you're kind of the American dream, but you're not the Republican American dream, not the Republican Party of today American dream. 
So it's like the Republican Party has no qualms about using minorities. And it's an irony because I always found, like, for example, during the Clinton uh, era, the, those Clinton Democrats, uh, for all of the wokeness that they, you know, espoused and how, you know, they they were better than the Republicans in terms of racial issues, a lot of these people never hired minorities, not in important uh, positions, and just played a lot of service talk when you would see on the Republican side, you have Colin Powell in prominent places in Condoleezza Rice and uh, all of these other minorities in prominent positions uh, because Republicans are open to that. So long as you buy into our agenda, yeah, we'll we'll say, hey, look, we got a brother here. We got we're not racist. We got a black Supreme yeah. Court justice guy who loves us. We got Colin Powell who's you know with us. We have Condoleezza Rice who's with us. You know, so um, so for Republicans, uh, they don't care. They'll they'll yeah. allow a dark skinned brother to be out there so long as they're moving on the same direction. Yeah, that's the key point. Um, so long as they're moving in the same direction. All right. I just uh, I want to say that if anybody is really looking for a deep dive talk on the Republican debate, we're dropping on Saturday a conversation with uh, David Ferris. Deep dive, man. Lots of fun. Uh, Dolph and I didn't really talk about it because I said, well, I just, you know, we got the David Ferris thing. So you can check out that David Ferris interview. We take the deep dive on the Republican debate. Vivek Ramaswamy, we told David Ferris went on a riff on him. Adolfo, thank you very much. And somehow or other, we've survived this White Sox season. I'm sure <laughs> next, I'm sure next year. Yeah, but I think I made my decision. I am not re-upping my season tickets next year. I'll, I will go to a few games here and there when a nice, oh, good team comes into town. But yeah, I'm 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 through with the season tickets for now because uh, I'm not going to reward this team. Like you said, they already have very low incentive. I'm not going to give them you know, uh, uh, more power to just do whatever they want, you know? Breaking news in the Ben Jarofsky show. I don't blame you one bit. Uh, all right, that's uh, Adolfo Mondragon. Thank you very much. also want to thank producer Chris for doing an outstanding job, as he always does. And Adolfo and David agree with me when I say, producer Chris, give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and a whole lot more, all at chicagoreader.com. Follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram at Benny J Show, and like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.